Welcome to the Third City Christian Church podcast. This week's message is To the Core, Part 5, Intentional Evangelism, recorded Sunday, November 21st, 2021. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Dan with today's message. We're at this conclusion of a five-week series emphasizing our core values, the things that make Third City tick, and we began talking uh, about biblical authority five weeks ago, and as a church, you see, we stand on the ethics and truths of the Bible as the Word of God and the compass that points to the true north of our lives, which is Jesus. And then we talked about spiritual maturity, that every person in our midst should be on a path of maturing in Christ. A couple of weeks ago, Josh challenged us to be a caring community. And if you remember, we looked at those circles and about the people who ought to be closest to you in your life and knowing that, that we go in deep with those people so that we can go out to other people in the most effective ways possible. And then last week, we were challenged to consider how churches minister to one another and to others through faithful stewardship. And now today, we want to conclude by talking about intentional evangelism, the, the last of our core values. Now, for many people, the word evangelism makes you squirm just about as much as the word money, right? It, it's kind of a dirty word. It's certainly a churchy word, and it's one of those that makes us a little bit uncomfortable. And, and we look at that word, and sometimes it's misunderstood, and sometimes the word is actually loathed. And some have images of religious town criers on street corners yelling Bible verses and hatred voices, using a bullhorn, standing on a soapbox, telling people how much God hates them. I think you know Third City enough to know that's not who we are, that's not how we are. And so when we talk about evangelism, please understand we're not going in that direction. Or, or maybe you have a relative who's just <clears throat> far too uh, serious and frankly kind of weird, right? Uh, but true evangelism, you see, it's not weird. The word evangelism simply means bringing a message of good. And it's as natural to the Christian, it should be as natural to the Christian as celebrating any great life-altering event. My daughter's getting married in a few weeks, and when she told us the news, it, it was full of excitement. In a few years, I'm guessing that we'll find out about a grandchild. Um, that will be exciting, and I'll cry, and I'll I'll get nervous and I'll, you know, I'll go through all the things that someone goes through when they have their first grandchild. We like to celebrate things that are good, graduations, uh, job promotions, getting that job that you've been praying for and preparing for your whole life. Uh, we want to celebrate. We want to tell somebody and we want to share that kind of a news. Well, well, the truth is that we have the best of news to bring. Uh, it is God whose unlimited love for mankind, a God who loves us and wants to be a part of his eternal kingdom. And Jesus commissions us to take the good news about him to a world that, frankly, is desperate for it. And there's an example of this in Luke chapter 10. If you want to open up your Bibles or follow along on the screen, uh, we'd welcome you to do that. Starting in verse 1, <clears throat> we read this. 
After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So he gathers 72 of his followers and he commissions them to go out as his advanced team. Sent out to the various villages between them and Jerusalem to bring a message of good. Jesus is coming. God is here in the flesh. He is here to establish God's values in the hearts of people. He was very intentional about sending them and how he wanted them to conduct themselves. Even though it's a couple of thousand thousand years later, the instructions are the same for us. You see, we are his advanced team, expected to go city by city, relationship by relationship, to bring a good message. Reading on, starting in verse 2, it says, He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. See, this isn't an easy thing, but it is supposed to be our thing. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and don't greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. And if not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Uh, Understand here, it doesn't say go find the people who are already prone towards Jesus. Go find the people who are ready to take that next step. It says go to the sick and those who welcome you and tell them what is coming. But when you enter a town and you're not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. We're not going to read this entire chapter in the interest of time this morning, but jump down to verse 17. We read, after they've done everything that Jesus has told them to do, We read, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's a pretty big proclamation from Jesus. I have given you authority, and now he's given us authority, to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see, there's the focus. There's the goal. We can do all of this stuff that seems important. And they did some healing. They they commanded demons. But in the end, what matters is that people are in his kingdom, both here and in heaven for eternity. And so for the rest of our time, let's take a journey based on the passage and answer this question. How can we as a people, as a church, be more intentional about bringing the good. Because now, we are his advanced team. Well, first of all, we've got to be willing to get out of our holy huddle. See, if I'm going to bring it, I need to intentionally take it. Last week, we mentioned that we invite people to come and see 
And Third City's been great at that, but at the same time, we encourage you to go and be. And we use this phrase around here, we say every member a minister, and we mean it. Because there are people that you work with, there are people that you live by, there are people that you interact with that we don't get to interact with. And the best chance of them finding about, finding about the thing that has changed your world is for you to share with them the thing that changed your world. See, in a time and place where culture is coming down on us, believe me, like it is much easier to hunker down and find safety and security. But let me remind you, in the days of Jesus and of the first church, they were living in times that were anything but friendly to God followers and to Christians. It was not friendly. Their times simply were more decadent and dangerous and immoral than our country has been ever at its worst. Jesus' people in that day and age had the temptation to hide in their little holy huddles. But his advanced team can't have any impact without contact. So don't fall into the trap, especially when it feels like things are closing in on us. The trap of confusing the sheltered life with a godly life. Jesus never intended for his people to live in communal monasteries and spend all of their time in secluded prayer and meditation. Those aren't bad things. They're good things. They're rhythms that we want you to own into practice, but it can't be all of your time. <clears throat> the advanced mission is clear. It's to go into the world and bring good. And we're to make disciples, Jesus followers, and when they step over the line, we are to baptize them and teach them about his life, his truths, his morals, his ethical views for humanity. That's our job. I love it on Sunday mornings or any time when we get to see a friend baptize a friend. Because that tells me that that friend's the one that's been their minister. It's been the one who has answered questions for them and will be the one that will help them learn what it looks like to follow in the ways of Jesus. See, that's our job. To do that, we have to get outside of that huddle. And the huddle is the place of preparation. The huddle is where we call the play. It's a gathering place to break and go run the play. You see, the church, element, revive, all of these things, your small group, it's a staging place and a planning place, but it is never supposed to be our staying place. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Verses 11 and 12, it says, uh, and by the way, Peter's writing to churches who are under tremendous pressure. The world of, uh, the religious world is turned against them and the government is coming after them. The immoral culture is trying to silence them. And as you read through this letter, you quickly see it's about how to survive the storm. And, and what this doesn't say is, Hunker down in your church and small groups and hide. What it says is this. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You see, we're supposed to abstain from sinful desires, and that just means to live above our carnal in urges. 
uh, not to live in comparative morality to the pagan culture that we live in. It's committing to a life under biblical authority, and we call that morality. But that's not enough. He tells us to live that kind of life, not just so they will see our good living, but because they will see personally up close a life that glorifies God. Now, please understand this. Living a moral life, that's good. But then hiding out with all the other moral purists, that comes off as weird and maybe even cultish. We become the subjects of curiosity. If you've ever visited an Amish community, what you'll notice is there's not a lot of people dressed like us there. They are not effective at reaching out because they're so clustered together. They're about moral purity, but they're not about sharing the fame of Jesus with the people around them. That's what happens to us if we lose our focus and merely on morality and we hunker down in a cocoon of fear and build communal safe zones. Taking the good news of Jesus, the healing of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, and the deeds that make Jesus' people invaluable, those are, those are the things that matter. We need, to, we need both morality and good deeds. Good deeds without morality sends a dangerous message. And morality without touching the hurts sends the wrong message too. See, living a moral life without teaching those around us will not make a difference. So along with getting out of your holy huddle, intentional evangelism involves the fact that we've got to learn to serve before we speak. We saw that in Luke 10. Jesus sent them as his advanced team to these towns and places where he was about to go himself. And they stirred up all kinds of interest by the goodwill, by prayer, by the healing, and by the authority of Jesus. So the seed had been sown for what Jesus was going to do in their lives. Understand this, serving earns us the right to be heard. It's simply the model of Jesus' ministry. He would go in and do miracles showing people that he cared for them and the struggles that they faced not just with words, but with actions. And it was because of his service to the people that the people came to hear his message. In Matthew 4, we read that Jesus went throughout all of these places, healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain and possession, and uh, people who were having seizures and who were paralyzed, and he healed them. And large crowds in the region came and they followed him and they began to listen to him teach. Most of us grew up watching some kind of hero show on TV. And uh, for Scott, he mentioned that it was the Lone Ranger. And oftentimes the situation was at its worst and the Lone Ranger would ride in on silver. And I remember watching this show. I was much younger than he was, but I remember watching it. And... uh, and he would ride in with Tonto and on silver, and, and uh, he would somehow fix the whole dilemma. And then when the people looked up, he was gone. And it would lead the people to say, who was that masked man, right? See, service in Jesus' name should never be that mysterious. Now, when we do a good thing, we're not looking for hero badges per se, but we don't want to let a good opportunity 
go by in explaining why we do the good things that we do. We want people to know that we are operating in the love unlimited of Jesus Christ, no strings attached. But there is a deeper need that every person we help has. And when they are ready to have that need met, we want them to know where they can go to get that kind of a help. Over 20 times in my life, I've been able to take groups of college students and high school students to Mexico on service trip, mission trip opportunities, oftentimes over spring break. And we would drive down there by van and do construction projects and VBS and all kinds of things. One of the things that we did was that we would take a trailer full of supplies, clothing and medical supplies, hygiene materials, and we would take that trailer and we would go to the poorest part of town where people were literally living in a dump. And we would open the doors and kids flocked to us by the hundreds. And we would give out clothes and, you know, we would give out first aid kits. We would give out all the things that had been given to us to take in an act of love. They'd see these white vans full of white people drive over the hill and they would come meet us. Took a couple times that for us to figure out that we were doing good, but we weren't doing the most good. We weren't doing the best thing that we could do. And so we changed that. And we started working with a local church in that neighborhood. And we said, we're, we're bringing everything, but we want you to give it away. And so we would help them set up basically a garage sale and people would flock to the church and they would get their clothing and their medical supplies and their, their hygiene things from the church, and the hope was that when everything hit the fan in their lives, they would, remember, they would remember not that it was the Americans, they would remember that it was the church. And they would go back to that church because they had taken care of the small things in their life, and our hope was that they would trust them with the bigger things in their life. See, as a church, we love to join with other faith groups uh, for important projects. And even over the last couple of days, we did the Project Hunger with several churches in our area. And it was a great two days. We packed these boxes full of food, 1,200 boxes, and took them to people who were in need. And I didn't get to deliver any boxes yesterday, but my guess is it opened up some doors for conversation. And it's what we do at those moments when someone says, why are you doing this? Where you get to say, because I follow someone who has made my life make sense. We love the opportunities that we have as a church to join hands with other churches and do things like that. But we also understand that we have a unique identity as a church. And so as much as we like to hold hands with them and do those things, we also want to be ready when the moment comes to be identified as Third City Christian Church. Because there's a time and place in our service when people start asking deeper questions about faith and about why we're doing what we're doing. And they'll ask the bigger questions of life because you know, free food and clothing and shelter and mental health and well-being, those are incredible things. But the biggest dilemma that people face in their lives is separation from God. And we have the good news that that's taken care of because Jesus has come and died in our place. But if you just have the words and no deeds, understand this, that's like lyrics without music. And you can have some really great music 
and lame lyrics. We call it the 1980s, right? Um, and people will still like and remember the music because they remember it. And you can have some really great lyrics and lame music and no one remembers it at all. Santa Claus is coming to town. I want you to understand this. Like, we sing that to a really, really fun, catchy tune, but what if we change that? What if we put it something more like this? You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout, and I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list, and he's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and who's nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good, so you better be good for goodness sake. Santa Claus is coming to town. You get the point. I think that would have caused a lot of kids, and understand this is completely Scott Jones, this part, to say... Please, please keep the creepy jingle elf away from me. It's a completely different tone. Uh, it's not how well you and I articulate the good news of Jesus all the time. It's how beautiful the music is that surrounds it. And friend, if you are to talk and there is no music, you're missing the message as well. So not only do we need to be intentionally uh, and continually leave our holy huddle. And not only do we need to bring the sweet music of service first, we've also got to leave when the door closes and stay when the door opens. Jesus told them when there is welcome and good receptiveness, stay and go for it. But when there is obstinance and rejection or when there is little to no results, go elsewhere. See, sometimes we don't know when and how to step back and let God do the work because we're trying too hard. Some of you have a child or a friend or a relative who's made it really clear, I'm not really interested in this. But you just can't help yourself. And so you send another link to another Scott Jones sermon. You send a link to the song that you heard on K-Love. And maybe you have a relationship with them that points towards shame rather than hope. And it's not helping. See, Jesus didn't tell them to pester people into submission. It isn't his way, and it ought not be our way either. And if you, uh, if you really love them, sometimes you'll just kind of let them go and trust that you've taught them and that you've shared with them and at the right time they'll look back to God. And the practical part for us is simply this. We go as far as they will allow us. We don't push beyond those boundaries. We don't barge down the door because no one is argued or shamed into following Jesus. Just a little news flash. The more you try to shame a person away from a behavior, most times the faster and further they'll run in the wrong direction. I've talked to you about my friend Rusty. He knew that my life was off the rails in my early college years. Never shamed me once, but what he did do is every week he invited me to McDonald's for breakfast, and we would sit there, and this dates me a little bit. We would eat 49-cent sausage biscuits dipped in pancake syrup. Explains a lot, I know. Uh, it was 
it was really one of the highlights of my week because he didn't push further than he should have pushed. But he did say things like, you know that we love you. You know that you've got a place with us. We talked about simple things like basketball. We talked about things that had nothing to do with the church. But there was always some kind of encouragement to be involved. But it was never pushing further than he should have pushed. And that took him from being my youth minister to the best man in my wedding. Because when everything did hit the fan in my life and my hands were on the steering wheel of my 1967 Mustang with no girlfriend and no job and no future. First phone call I made on the big car phone was rusty. It was rusty because I knew he loved me and I knew that he knew when to push and when not to push. First Peter 3 15 and 16 says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. You hear that beautiful music? That was well-timed. I didn't mean it that way. (laughs) Do it with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Last thing is we've got to leave the results to God. See, there's no magic bullets. All you can do is play your side of the tennis court. Any tennis players or pickleball players, anything like that, you know. You have no impact of what's going on on the other side. You can place a good shot, but it's up to them what they're going to do with that, whether they're going to swing and miss, whether they're going to hit it out, whether they're going to put spin on it, whatever it looks like, it's, it's on them. You only get to play your side the court. All you can control is your reaction. That's it. And you pray and you put it in God's hands and you ask him to do a work in their hearts. Let me tie this together by stating our goal, whether it's with family or your relationships, the kids you coach, the parents and the bleachers, whoever it is, our goal is to simply move the needle. No matter who they are, They may be a raving, fanatical, dragon-breathing, God-hating atheist. And my goal is to move the needle towards God. They may be a worldly, apathetic, born-and-bred sinner. My goal is to move the needle towards God. My goal is not to turn an atheist into an apostle overnight or a sinner into a saint immediately. My goal is to turn something that's at a zero into a one and trust that God's at work in the situation. The most important thing to understand is this, and it's something Paul learned from Jesus. Paul wrote, I may plant and you may water, but it's God who brings the increase. Because just as in your life, it's not an immediate thing. It's a process that takes intentionality, and prayer, and a whole lot of serving, and patience. My prayer and hope is the kind of difference you and I can make is day in and day out. And it's the kind of difference that our church will make as we bring the good, the good news of Jesus that has died in our place and desires for every person 
to sit at his feet. Let's pray. God, we take this moment uh, to take a, a piece of bread and a cup of juice. It reminds us of your body and your blood given for us on a cross so that we don't have to go through that and so that we can be one with our Father God. And we simply say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're like me, there's that line in that song that just scares me. It says, scream it to the masses. (laughs) And that gets a little scary. Like maybe you're not the person who's going to go have an audience of five, six, seven hundred people. Last Sunday, we had about 1,300 people in our services and then 100 more online. If each one of us identified one person and reached out to that person, you know what that sounds like to me? Sounds like the masses. We can make that kind of a difference. We can invest in one person. And we can be a church because we are so unified that they're going to see that unity in us. They're going to see that love towards each other. Just like we read about in Matthew or in Acts chapter 2, which you ought to go home and read. And they're going to say, I want in on that. So who's your one? Take note of it before you leave here. Text yourself. Write it down. Who's your one? that's in your circles, that you can talk to about what has changed your world. For me, it's real simple. It's this neighbor that I met during the art of neighboring. And it's a guy that when I wrote his name on my piece of paper, I thought, I don't know if I can get through to that guy because he's a little bit of of a reclusive person. But I borrowed some tools from him. I could have gone and bought the tools, but it was a chance to meet him. And I returned them quickly because it meant another conversation. And we've just talked for a minute or two here and there. And this week, he came up to me, and he said, the doctor says I need to go for walks around the block, but my back is so bad, I don't know if I would make it. Would you be willing to walk around the block with me next week? Can I just tell you, the most holy thing I could do this next week is to walk around the block. Because I think when you walk, you're going to talk. Who's your one? Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.